Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard, and I'm very happy that you're joining me. Uh, tonight, I'm driving solo. Elizabeth has a lot of work on her plate, so I'm going to be doing this uh, broadcast podcast for those listening to us uh, on my own. Uh, and the subject, the title of this broadcast is 10 Ministry Tests You Must Pass. And before I begin, obviously, it, this broadcast, this teaching, it addresses those who are in ministry. And yet, we are all in ministry because the word ministry means service. And if you're a believer, if you're a kingdom citizen, automatically you are called to serve the king. So we all have a ministry, whether we embrace it or not, whether we do it for pay or not we are called to serve so although this you will as you will probably recognize as i go through these 10 tests you'll recognize if you are in ministry that you've probably been through them or that you are uh, maybe anticipating going through them or you know someone who's been through them and uh, if you're not in ministry but in official paid ministry you might still recognize them because they're, they're kind of like they also are life tests. They're not just ministry tests. You're going to see it's, it comes with the life of the believer. It comes with the walking with God, with the, um, the mission that God has given you, whatever it is, as you implement it, as you walk with God and, and strive to do his will, and you want to follow the leading of the Holy Ghost, you will be tested. You will be tested. And I cannot take credit for these 10 ministry tests that I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to give credit to uh, Brian Simmons. So Brian Simmons is the author of the Passion Translation, among other things. He does, he's in ministry himself, of course. Uh, so I happen to be friends with him on Facebook, and he posted this on his, uh, on his timeline, and uh, man, it, it just resonated. And I thought, man, this is so good. I have to share it with my audience. But as I am sharing it, I cannot take credit. He wrote it down, but I thought it was so good. I thought it was really gold. And I wrote it in the comments when I saw this. I was like, this is really spot on. This is really good. So the number one, the first test that you will have to, pay, to pass is the test of faith. Number one is the test of faith. And it's not easy. Uh, and they say the first step is always the hardest. Uh, you You... As you embrace God's call on your life, as you become a believer, automatically you will have to pass the test of faith. And the test of faith is, is very simple. It's basically uh, doing what God calls you to do on a daily basis. Uh, Luke uh, chapter 5, verse 4, we remember when Jesus met with the, uh, the apostles, the disciples, and uh, they had fished all night and they had caught nothing. And they were cleaning their nets. They were ready to, you know, take it home and put their stuff away. And then he, he said, you know, go out again. After after they lent the boat to him so he would go preach uh, on, the, on, the, um, on the sea. Then since they had done this favor for him, he was like, you know what? Go out again. Launch your nets into the deep. And you know what? That's what faith is. Faith is obeying God on things that we think in the natural will not yield anything. So it means sometimes doing crazy things for God or going all out for God or doing things 
that uh, we think make absolutely no sense. I'm also reminded of that uh, passage in the Old Testament where um, these kings were at war and uh, I think it was Elisha uh, who told them to go and dig ditches uh, for rain, but man, it, it hadn't rained for, for days. Uh, and they were like, okay, dig ditches. Okay, because they, they needed water, their army needed water. But they obeyed nonetheless, they dug the ditches and lo and behold, it started to rain. And those ditch, ditches got filled with water, their army could drink and then they were able to continue their campaign. Well, that's the test of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. The Bible tells us that. And we will all be tested in that area. There's always going to be something at some point that God's going to ask you to do. And, and by the way, the test of faith is not a test you take once. You take that test from level to level to level. As God, as you climb up the ladder, as, as you climb up the mountain that God has assigned for you, there's going to be more and more tests of faith. And usually uh, they go from, from uh, they go in, in, in levels of difficulty as you get higher. So, you know, they say that for every level, there's a new devil. Well, uh, for every, uh, level in your faith walk, there's going to be a new level of testing. So your faith will be tested time and again all throughout your life here on earth as you follow Jesus Christ. Number two is the test of small beginnings. And before I talk about this, just want to remind people who are just joining us, I'm talking about the 10 ministry tests you must pass. The 10 ministry tests you must pass. So number two is the test of small beginnings. Not everything is easy. Sometimes we have a misconception that because we're believers, because we serve uh, an almighty God, things are going to be made easy. But unfortunately, here in, in the earth realm, we, we're like, uh, I like what Kevin Zadis once said. He said, you're, it's like we're trying to advance in mud, in muck. It's thick. It's hard. Like if you ever if you ever walked in mud or, or in a, you've been in a situation where you have to walk in mud, it's thick. You can't advance fast. You can't go fast. It drags you back and it's very demanding. Well, that's the that's this world. That's the world we live in right now. So the test of small beginnings, everything worthwhile in your life is uphill. Everything worthwhile is uphill, and you will notice this. You will see this as you follow God's call in your life. Everything that is worthwhile, everything that is uh, given to you, to you as an assignment to do is worthwhile, and you're going to see it's mostly uphill because you God uses our callings as training grounds as the same, at the same time. So whatever you're, he's calling you to do, he will equip you to do as you're doing it. So it's like a boot camp at the same time. Uh, I remember uh, in, when, I, when we first began podcasting, um, I would, uh, unfortunately, I, I had the big, uh, how can I put this? I had big, big, big expectations of my podcast and the quality of my teachings, and I expected big audiences. And I remember it took a long time before we started gaining traction and having actually people listen to us, people interested in what we had to say. And uh, for the first few podcasts, we, we had very few, very few listeners who were lucky enough to find us. Uh, but I kept going. 
you know, it was a small beginning, but we kept going, me and Elizabeth, and the podcast grew and our platform grew. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10 says, do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See, God gets excited with our small beginnings because if we're heeding his call, if we're heeding his voice and we apply it and we do it, he gets excited with that just because we're showing faith, just because we're showing obedience. For him, there's no such thing as a small beginning. There's just beginnings. And he just, it, the Lord loves beginners. And it's funny, I've, I've spoken about this uh, on other broadcasts. The word entrepreneur, and I'm going to talk to entrepreneurs. If there's any entrepreneurs out there, you're going to like this. The word entrepreneur comes from the French word entrepreneur or entreprendre. Entreprendre means to begin something. When you entreprend something in French, you begin a thing. You, you start something. That's why in English they're called startups because you begin something. So do not despise the, the day of small beginnings. And if there's a good book that I can recommend on that, it's uh, The Compound Effect, written by Darren Hardy. I don't have a copy with me. But this book is fantastic. And you can actually go on YouTube. And I think he gave like a two-hour talk on based on his book, The Compound Effect, the talk that he gave is actually titled the same way, The Compound Effect. And basically the crux of the book is he explains that success in life is, is compounded from many different little things or changes or tweaks that we bring to our lifestyle and decisions. Uh, so it's, it's small decisions that we make, small positive decisions that we make that eventually compound and bring us into a bigger success or a greater life or um, uh, anyway, any way you want to call it, a better, better things. So it's the small things once compounded and done with consistency and repetitiveness and, and stuff that's just really, let's face it, not really sexy. <laughs> we don't find that those things are sexy, you know, consistency and, and doing the thing over and over again. Well, it's those small things that multiply and multiply and eventually uh, completely transform your life. Well, the same thing can be said in ministry. It's the consistency of doing the thing, whatever the thing is that God is asking you to do, it's doing that thing with consistency day in and day out that will determine how um, how God can use you and use your ministry in a greater way. Which brings us to number three. I like number three. I don't like living it, but I, I, like, I like what it says. The test of opposition and criticism. The test of opposition and criticism. If you've been in ministry, you know this test is... Uh, it's. It, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to happen. Like as soon as you're, you're putting yourself out there in ministry, no matter what your biblical views are, no matter what your theology is, you're going to have critics. I have a friend on Facebook who calls them fruit flies. When you're bearing fruit for the kingdom, you're, you're going to have fruit flies. So not everyone is going to be your fan. 
Uh, and even sometimes the people that you would most expect to be your fans are not going to be your fans. And I'm talking here about friends and family. Sometimes we have expectations when we start something, especially if we we go all in for God and, and we, we begin a ministry or we start serving God in a certain way. Uh, we expect family to, to be on board, especially if they're Christians. Well, sometimes it can be very disappointing. Sometimes even Christian family members will not really care what you're doing. They won't be interested and they might not even support you. They might not even think that it's a, it's a God thing. So your greatest opposition will most likely come from family and friends. And that's just the sad truth. And I don't like being the bearer of bad news, but that's just the way it works. Uh, I call this in one of my blog posts. If you want to go back and read a blog post, go to thrivingonpurpose.com and, and type in the Jesus effect the Jesus effect. And in that blog post, I basically explained that no disciple is greater than his, his master. And if Jesus was rejected, if Jesus, if they didn't believe in him, if they didn't buy into him, well, guess what? Uh, we're we're going to have to deal with rejection as well. Uh, and I also, in that blog, I, I give the example when his own family thought he had lost it. He was at the beginning of his ministry. And they had thought they thought he lost his mind and they were at the door while he was teaching and they were at the door and they came to to seize him because they it says the Bible says that they thought he had lost his mind. Now, that was the Lord Jesus Christ. So imagine you, you and I, you're going to have to deal with stuff like that, too. But he's not the only one who had to deal with criticisms. We know the Apostle Paul dealt with a lot of that. Uh, in in Second Timothy chapter four verses sixteen to eighteen, we read this: At my first defense, no one came to help me, but all left me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and that the Gentiles might hear. So I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And I think that's interesting uh, because uh, Paul himself had to deal with uh, rejection. So that's kind of hard and it's not easy, And but, but we all have to go through it. And Paul was, uh, he was pretty tough. He was able to deal with it. Uh, there is, furthermore, there's even, I find there's a, I, I didn't jot down the reference, but I think it's in 2 Corinthians, if I'm not mistaken. His opponents said of him, get this, and I love this because I, I really identify with that. They said, for his letters, they say, so we're, basically his letters are what we have today as epistles in the, in the scriptures. So his opponents said of his letters, they are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is despised. And I once jokingly said to Liz, I said, you know what, I'm a better, well, joking. I was half joking because I, I kind of believe that I'm a better writer or author than uh, a teacher. Uh, I have uh, my, my writings always had more impact when people would actually read me than my teachings. Uh, although it, that didn't stop me from teaching, that didn't stop me from embracing the mantle God gave on me, God gave me, and the gifts that He gave me. Uh, I still believe I'm called to teach, and I do teach. But my, I believe that my writing, uh, my uh, what we would call a scribe anointing, is stronger and has more bearing on my ministry than my teaching. 
God might change that at a future time. But uh, I just like uh, reading that Paul had the same problem. So I'm in good company. You know, I, when I when I feel like that, I'm like, well, Paul was the same way. And Stephen, like what they said about him was really nasty. They said that that his letters were great. They were very powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is despised. Well, so like talk, think about like, wow, that, that that's tough criticism. Uh, and I mentioned uh, also um, that Jesus had problems with his own family. But there's also another verse, uh, Matthew chapter 26, that speaks of Jesus Christ. Uh, verses 55 and 56 speak of his arrest. So in the hour of his arrest, it says, In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes who came against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? I sat daily in the temple teaching, and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then, the scripture says, all the disciples left him and fled. And uh, we know it, like they, they were scared. They were really scared <laughs> that uh, their lives were in danger. And to some degree, they were. So it wasn't, it wasn't an unfounded fear, but they still left the master. They, they left the Lord Jesus Christ. They all fled. And John, only John, had the courage. And I have to say this because it was one out of 12. Kind of uh, reminds us of the, the 12 spies that were sent out to spy on the land, and only two came back with a positive report, and 10 uh, were scared stiff. Well, the same thing with the disciples, but this time only one uh, dared to show up at the crucifixion, and it was John. Um, so I have a great respect for the Apostle John just for that, uh, among, but there's other, th other stuff, obviously, that I respect him for, but that, I think, was uh, pretty brave on his part. Number four. As you embrace God's call on your life, as you embrace your ministry, your service to God and to others, you will have to face the test of limited resources, of limited resources. You know what? There's not always enough for your God-given vision. In fact, <laughs> more often than not, you will be faced with lack of funding, lack of resources for the vision that God has given you. And that's all part of the plan. See, because God wants us to be resourceful. God wants us to know where our, our all of our resources come from. They come from Him. So He wants us to rely on Him and to see Him as our source for everything, for all, all of our needs, including the needs for the vision that he put on your heart. In Matthew 14, 17, we read uh, the disciples are in the, the situation where they, uh, they're they before 5,000 people. And basically Jesus is saying, hey, you guys feed them. And so that was one big test right there. They were being tested. And uh, they they really didn't get what the master was saying because they turned to Jesus. They said, they said well, what do you suggest we do? Do you, do you want us to go and buy some food at the nearest town, uh, but it would take months of wages to buy that. Uh, so they did have a uh, treasury. So they did have money. Uh, the ministry had money, uh, but Jesus was testing them. He wanted to see their response. And, uh, and they came back and they found a little, a little boy in the audience who had 
five loaves of bread and two fish. So they came back with that after Jesus had, had told them uh, to go see what could be salvaged. And uh, that ended up being enough for the miracle that Jesus was going to perform. But uh, remember, Jesus said we would do greater things than he did. And I think this was a really major test for the disciples to understand how the kingdom operates. So it was a it was a resources test, but also a resourcefulness test and a faith test that they were being put through. So when they said there are here only five loaves and two fish, they didn't understand what happens when we take our only, because every, every one of us is faced with only. I only have so much money. I only have this to give. I only have this to get started. We, we're often limited in our resources. But this story is told to us, I believe, and showing us a great lesson that when we take what we have and we give it, we transfer it from the earth realm, from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God, when we transfer it, it can be multiplied. So in other words, that's when the, 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 the provision of God comes in. It's when we, by faith, take what we have and use it for the kingdom by sowing it into the kingdom. That's when God steps in and it multiplies in ways that we could even we can't even fathom as human beings. So that's when we get the 30, 60, 100 fold. It's when we do this by faith. And there's another story in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 12 to 16. We read the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Uh, there was a great famine in the land, no rain. Uh, it hadn't rained for, I think it was three years. Uh, and uh, Elijah is sent to this widow to be taken care of. And uh, he comes to her and he, he asks her for... Um, for, for water and bread. And, and she answers this, starting in verse 12. As surely as the Lord God, your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Well, she said she doesn't have anything, but that's not true. She had, see, in the natural, we think oh, that's nothing. But see, in the kingdom of God, that's something. So, she said, I only have a handful of flour and a little olive oil. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she had basically come to terms with the reality that she was facing in the natural. She was like, we're just going to die. I mean, it's over for us. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first... Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Now he gave her a word from God. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. 
For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. So even the little, little bit that a widow had for herself and her son, which was not even enough to make a decent meal, even that little bit could be transferred into the kingdom and could become something significant through faith and application. So that's how the law of limited resources work. See, in, in, in the natural, we see it as limited resources, but in the kingdom, it's something. It's something to start with. It's something to use. It's something to sow. It's something that you do have. I've heard stories of, of people time and again who had kind of a widow's might that's another story I could have used. The widow's mite who had nothing. Like she had a, only like the equivalent of two pennies, basically. And she put that in the offering. And Jesus said, she put more than all the others because that's all she's got. Basically, she gave everything she had. In other words, God saw what she gave. God was going to be her rewarder, the one who would reward her for that. And it's the same with us. Even our widow's might, even the thing that we think is irrelevant or not much, can be made into much by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, where was I going with this? So yeah, so, so that's the law, uh, the test of uh, uh, limited resources. That's where your test will be, uh, your, your faith, uh, rather, will be tested when you have so limited resources. And God will put you to the test by asking you to give of your limited resources. And it could come in so many ways. Sometimes it could be just to sow or to invest in your own ministry. It could be to uh, maybe he's asking you to, I don't know, start a podcast and you need to buy a mic. And the rent is due in two weeks, but he's pressing you expressing upon your heart to buy a mic now and you have $200. That's all you've got. And that's the price of the microphone. And you go in obedience and you buy it. Well, guess what? That is you sowing into the kingdom and it will not be forgotten. And God will not let that fall flat. That counts as a seed. And God will, if it is done by faith, recompense that. He will not let you um, fail that test once you go in faith and you sow that limited resource. Number five, the test of hard work with little fruit. The test of hard work with little fruit. Um, the author of um, Brian Simmons added, not every season is harvest. See, we, we tend to be I, don't, I wouldn't say lied to, but there's sometimes in, in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we're told um, to sow and because you're going you're gonna to get a reward and, and do it. You're going to get a reward. Sometimes the reward is tardy. Sometimes it's so tardy that you might, you might actually do a lot of work for weeks and months and even years and not see the fruit of that, not get the harvest right away. Now, this is a great test for any ministry, for anybody who serves the Lord. This is very, very difficult, but you cannot lose heart when you are tested in that way. Uh, my wife and I have been tested in that way, and I know 
many ministers who've been tested in that way. But Galatians 6, 9, Galatians 6, 9 is one of our key verses. And uh, I, I love that verse. I oftentimes I've, I told it to Elizabeth to encourage her. Let us not be weary in doing good. For we will reap in due season if we do not give up. Other translations say we will reap in due season if we do not faint. And uh, and sometimes it feels like that. You're working, you're, you're busting your chops, working real hard uh, for, for months and even years. And it seems that you're not harvesting. You've, you're praying, you're decreeing, you're declaring, uh, you're, you're, you're doing the thing that God is asking. You're sowing the seeds, you're, do, you're tilling the ground, you're watering with prayer. It's not showing up. Don't give up. The Bible tells us if we do not give up or do not faint, depending on which, which is what sometimes, sometimes you're, you're just tired and you want to give up. Other times you're, you're pushed to exhaustion and you feel like you're going to faint. But don't give up. The harvest is coming. Okay, I hope this encourages you. Then, so that's the test of hard work with little fruit. And it's a very tough one. That's one of the tough ones. They're all tough. They're all tough. But that one is particularly hard. Number six, the test of people coming and leaving. Not everyone stays. Loyalty is a rare and valuable thing. So there's loyalty that plays here. Sometimes people will betray you. Sometimes people will uh, sometimes just fall away. So you're going to be working uh, with someone in the ministry, partnering with someone. And that person just, for some reason, stops doing ministry. Doesn't want to be involved in that stuff anymore. They leave. People leave for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they have to leave. Sometimes it's their calling on their life that is calling them to leave. So they were with you, walking with you for a time. And when that time's up, well, guess what? They go to do something else that the Lord's calling them to do. Uh, so not everybody will stick with you till the end. In fact, it's a good bet that most people will not stick with you till the end. So there people come and go. Uh, I had a wise uncle who told this to my mom one day. He, he, he said, you know, people come and go in life. There, there's some um, uh, times when people will come in closer contact and work with you and walk with you for a time, lock arms with you. And there's other times when it's time for them to Stop locking arms with you, and they, they're just going to leave. Uh, they leave either for because they have a calling. They leave because you might have a disagreement with them. We we see that in the New Testament. Uh, Paul had a, uh, I think it was with uh, Mark. He had a disagreement with Mark, and he had a, even fought with I think it was Barnabas over uh, what was happening there. So they had a tiff amongst believers. So there's stuff like that that happens too. I and mean, we're human beings, and we carry. Uh, you know, our, our personalities with everything that comes with that. And uh, I would say sinful nature for sure. Absolutely. I mean, we're still fighting a sinful nature and, and there's like, whenever there's a tiff, somebody's in the wrong usually, and there's different percentages. Sometimes it's both people. Sometimes someone is wrong at 40%. The other one's wrong at 60%. Other times someone has the whole blame, hundred uh, percent. But all this to say that there's disagreements that come in the body of Christ. Uh, so when you find loyalty, 
it's a very, very valuable thing. And I mentioned earlier the Apostle John, and uh, I jotted it here, the, the, the passage. It's in John chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother, mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. As the elder son, uh, it was uh, Jesus's responsibility to make sure that his mother was looked after. Now, the responsibility had been his up, on, up until that point. And uh, maybe it was because there was none of his brothers present at the cross that he uh, he gave the responsibility to, to John, but we can also surmise that it's because he was so close to John all throughout his ministry. John was like a brother. I mean, he stuck closer to uh, 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 closer than a brother. Uh, uh, John, uh, Peter, James, and John, these three were always with the Lord Jesus, but at the cross, only John was present. So uh, John was given quite a privilege uh, and an honor from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, uh, so all this to say that those who stick with you uh, in, through thick and thin, uh, those are very valuable people. Always make sure that you um, you verbalize this to them. So when there's people uh, laboring with you, locking arms with you, make sure you value them verbally, that you mention to them just how important they are to you, just how much uh, they add to your life, just how much their their work adds to the ministry that you're both doing together. Number seven, the test of forming the right partnerships and alliances, because yes, you will be tested in that too. For different uh, purposes and endeavors all throughout your work, you'll find people that uh, you, you will work with. And ideally, ideally, you will lock arms with believers. Sometimes you, it doesn't have to be believers. I mean, and then don't take me up. <laughs> I'm not contradicting scripture here. But for example, for example, uh, you, you wrote a book. You want to get a nice cover done. You find someone on Fiverr and you hire that person and they did great work. You don't know if they're a believer or not. You just know they did a great cover for your book. And then you have you write another book. I'm, I'm talking from experience here, <laughs> obviously. Then you write another book. You, you create a nice cover. You go to that same person because they gave you such good service the first time. You have no clue if they're a believer or not, but they work great. They, they're awesome. So you can still work with some people in some instances that are not believer. But ideally, when it comes to the work of the ministry, not just ideally, um, I, I should say urgently, uh, importantly, the test of alliances, the, 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 the forming the right partnerships and alliances is something you will be tested on. So not everyone obviously is the right connection. And the right partnerships you will find are rarely people who are exactly like you. And, and of course, uh, I'm not saying you won't work with people who are like-minded, but I'm saying you will work with people who can be very different from you. And that can be uh, a... 
a source of irritation, depending on how you look at it, it can be a source of irritation or a great source of blessing. See, when you understand that uh, when you form a partnership with someone who has gifts that you don't have, talents and abilities that you don't have, and you form a partnership with the, the, this person, you will be greatly blessed. It's going to advance and help you in the ministry, in whatever you're doing. And uh, so the tendency we have is to try to find people who are like us. But oftentimes, if two people are too alike, one of them is unnecessary. That was Ruth Bell Graham who said that. She was speaking of her marriage. If two people are exactly the same, one of them is unnecessary. Uh, I love the fact that my wife is so different from me on so many, in so many aspects. Uh, she really sharpens me. She, God uses her to sharpen me all the time. Uh, so in ministry, uh, that's the way it should be. That like You should be working with people who have a heart for God, who want to serve God, uh, and who are passionate about the Bible. But at the same time, you want people who will add different things to the ministry that, are, that you are lacking. So obviously, this is a thing. Obviously, the other thing is, I mentioned it, don't be unequally yoked. So make sure that if you're working in the ministry that you find believers to work with. You don't want to bring someone in the ministry, in the directly hands-on doing ministry with someone who's not a believer. So Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it's a well-known passage, uh, verses 14 to 16, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship do righteousness and iniquity have? Or what fellowship does like uh, light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what portion does a believer have with an unbeliever? What agreement does a temple of God have with idols? So Paul is making a very, very important point. He's saying, look, if you're working in the ministry, don't be unequally yoked. And even more if you're getting married. So we're not going to get into that tonight. But, but obviously, if you're a believer, you should marry a believer as well. But I, I looked up a little bit uh, unequally yoked. I wanted to get a little bit more detail about it. I have a, I had a good grasp of it, but I wanted the right words. And I like uh, what I found as definition. So an unequally yoked team of oxes has one stronger ox and one weaker, or one taller and one shorter. The weaker or shorter ox would walk, for example, more slowly than the taller, stronger one causing the load to go around in circles. When oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them. So while you want to find someone who will complement you in talents, abilities, and giftings, you do want someone who will walk at the same pace as you, uh, who, will, who will accompany you and carry the same load. So that's being equally yoked. And I find that very insightful. Number eight. So if you are in ministry, one of the tests you will have to pass is the test of distraction that comes from growth. Every ministry begins at a humble stage. Every ministry begins, uh, you know, sometimes it's a home church. Uh, sometimes it's an online platform like I'm doing. Uh, I mean, we all start in a humble way. We don't start big with a mega church. Nobody starts like that. Okay. So 
eventually you'll be called to grow. If you're obedient and, and, and walking with the Lord and you have a plan and you have a vision, your platform will grow. If there is no growth, there's a problem. And I know this, this, some people think this bad like, Oh, that's not true. Mega churches are bad. And well, yeah, some mega churches do teach bad stuff uh, or, or wrong doctrine. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's not the case in some mega churches. And I'm not saying you should have a mega church, but what I'm saying is this, we are all, all called to grow. Look at the parable of the talents. The Lord commanded those who made uh, the talents grow, the bags of gold grow. Whatever the Lord gives you uh, to steward, whether it's a ministry or, or anything, he expects growth to come from it if it is well administered, if it is well managed, okay? So there should be some growth. There should be some growth. So there's going to be distractions that come with growth. It comes with the territory, as they say. And when those distractions come, uh, it, it can come under many different types of things. Sometimes it's uh, opportunities. So, for example, God has, has called you to a certain uh, thing to do. You want, let's, for example, me, he's called me to teach and he's called me to write. That's basically the description of my ministries. Two things, very simple. I write and I teach. That's pretty much all I do. And that's that defines uh, my, my purpose. Now, sometimes people will contact me because they want me to teach. And I have to evaluate, well, for example, if I'm in the middle of, of an important work that has to do with finalizing a book, for example, and it's mon monopolizing 80% of my time, I have to evaluate, is this taking me away from the task that I'm supposed to be doing right now, which is finalizing that book? Or is this something that, yeah, I, I feel that the Holy Spirit is calling me to go and teach on that person's platform or, or, or broadcast, podcast, church, whatever. So you have to evaluate because some things are opportunities or, or um, calls from God, you know, when God sets you up with someone else. Other things are distractions. So when you grow, you get more of those. So you, you have to evaluate on a daily basis more of those things. And, and you'll realize, here's the thing. You'll realize as you grow that you're going to say no to more and more things. And the no's you say are just as important, if not more important, than the yeses you say. I hope that makes sense. So you're going to probably have such a tight schedule that you're going to have to say maybe one yes for every five no's. That's normal because you have a limited amount of time. You have a schedule, you have a calendar, limited amount of days and, and capability to, you're not omnipotent. You can't be everywhere at once. So you have to decide and evaluate the places that you can be and you should be uh, that God is calling you to be at. And that involves you're going to say no to more and more people, opportunities, uh, or, or whatnot. So that's that comes with the territory. So that's the test of distraction that comes from growth. There's going to be more distraction. And the only way you're going to pass that test is by saying yes to the few that are God sent, that are meant for you and your ministry, and to say no, to have the courage to say no, to those things that are just distracting you from your calling and your assignment. I hope I made myself clear.
Oh, yeah, I had a story I wanted to share. Uh, it's a secular story, but I think it's really, really good. It's a story of Richard uh, Branson, the entrepreneur, Richard Branson. Uh, someone who had a big company, uh, multi-million dollar company, wanted Richard Branson to come to an event that he organized for his company. He was a CEO of a company. He really wanted Richard Branson to come and give a, a, a keynote address to, at his company. And so he called the, the office of Richard Branson and he said, I think initially he wanted to pay Richard Branson $150,000. And the secretary, uh, um, uh, did she? No, she said no. And she says, it's a no. The person came back. So, okay, like, let's make it an even $250,000. I really want Richard Branson. I don't want anybody else. And again, it was a no. And the person upped their price, and I don't remember the exact amount, but they upped their price to an amount that any speaker, almost any speaker except Richard Branson, apparently, would have said yes to because the amount was fairly like, whoa, like eye-popping. I think it was something like 500000 for one speech. It was really worth the... Uh, you know, uh, taking your private jet from uh, in, from England to go to America, do the speech and come back, you know, uh, maybe six hours worth, seven hours worth uh, for, let's say, I don't know, $300,000, $500,000. I don't remember the exact amount. But again, it was a no. But then the secretary gave more detail. She said, Mr. Branson right now is involved in a project that requires his full attention and he cannot... Um, he cannot basically be distracted by any other thing than that particular project. Now, we know that, that Richard Branson was already a multimillionaire. So, so for him to say no to that amount is feasible and, and realistic. But how many offers does he get per week for stuff like that? I mean, obviously. So it's the same thing with, with us. Uh, it won't be $500,000, obviously. But whatever uh, the, the shiny object syndrome that might come and show up, sometimes Satan will dangle a shiny object in front of us, expecting us to let go of our assignment, God-given assignment, and, and bite on that shiny object. And, and you know, it comes disguised, it, the shiny object thing, it, it, it won't be like, come and give a speech at the satanic church. It's probably going to be something that's very godly, that's very honorable and good, and that that, that if it weren't for the timing of it, would be a perfectly fine and, and, and God-honoring thing. But if it's the wrong thing, if it's the right thing at the wrong time, it's the wrong thing. So even the right thing at the wrong time, it's the wrong thing. So that's the test of distraction that comes from growth. Number nine, the test of prior, prioritization and use of time. So time management, I should have written that. The test of time management. <laughs> Not everything you do is most important. And that's a lesson I had to learn early on in our entrepreneurship journey, our ministry journey. There's things that, that come at you, many things in the course of a day, many things. Most of them are urgent, but not all of them are important. And that's something uh, I remember I had a prophetic word about that because I had such a hard time managing uh, through the urgent, navigating through the urgent in order to stick 
to the important. But oftentimes, the important, uh, I would be drug away, dragged, dragged away from the important into the urgent. Because the urgent has that pull. It has that, you need to do this now. You need to do this now. And you have to discern. Obviously, I have children. If a child comes in uh, with a busted lip and he's bleeding, that is urgent. But it, I need to shift from doing the important. If I'm in the middle of preparing a message, I have to stop what I'm doing and manage the urgent because this is important. But other times, it's fake emergencies that are going to come at you. And when it when the case comes, when it's fake emergencies, you have to have the discernment to know, wait a minute, what I'm doing right now is important. See, what's important is the long game. I wrote this here. Important is the long game, and it is one on consistency. Urgent is the short game and will take you off course if you let it. So that's a good tweet. For those of you guys who are still on Twitter, uh, we got off Twitter when, when uh, they started censoring, censoring everything. But uh, it can be a good Facebook quote or whatever your platform you're on. Important is the long game and is one on consistency. Urgent is the short game and will take you off course if you let it. So it's very, very important when you are doing the ministry that God has given you because we're all in ministry as soon as we're saved and kingdom citizens, to be able to discern between the urgent that I need to take care of, the urgent that can wait, and the important. So these three things are very, very important. And, and oftentimes there's the urgent that can wait that disguises itself as the urgent that can't wait. And Satan will use that oftentimes to, to portray this urgent thing as, oh, you, this is urgent. You, you need to stop what you're doing because this is so important. But then you look back and you're like, now, why did I, why did I do this? Because, yeah, sure, it was urgent, but it, it wasn't that urgent. I mean, I could have made that phone call later or I could have um, answered that email later. I could have done that. It could have waited a couple of hours and nobody would have died Everything would have been fine. Uh, there was an entrepreneur once, I forget who it was, and he was talking about the way he does things. And he mentioned for one thing, he mentioned that in the early morning hours, he doesn't touch any social media. So when he goes on his computer, all his, his uh, I could learn a thing or two from him, obviously, all of his social media is shut down. There's nothing open there and just focuses on his work. He doesn't even check his emails. In the afternoon, then... He goes and checks his email like maybe at two two in the afternoon, and, and but that that same person was saying that uh, they learned something from uh, some some guy who was like a multimillionaire, like a really important CEO somewhere. Or I don't remember where, but the person kind of shocked him because he, he's in the office with the person, and the person is talking to him, is checking his emails at, at the same time, and he clicks select all, all the emails. And like I, you had hundreds of emails and delete. And the guy goes like, what? You, you deleted all of those emails. And he said, you know what he said to him? And I thought that was incredible. I said, whoa, talk about time management. Talk about managing uh, your time and making sure that you do only what's important. He said to him, he said, if it's really important, 
they'll write back. Whoa. And I was like, wow, think about all the time we spend going through our multitude of emails, selecting, deleting, do I keep this? Do I read this? Do I open this? Not, what, no, don't. He just like select all, delete. He didn't have time to bother with that. And all of a sudden his inbox was clear, free and clear. And he said, if it's important, they'll write back. And, and, and I mean, it's logical, right? If it is really important, guess what you do? You, you write back. I've written important emails. When they don't answer me after two, three days, guess what I do? I write back or I just go back in my sent emails. I copy the text from the, the one I had wrote, written initially. I just open a new email and send the same text, copy, paste, send that same thing once again. And usually they'll, they'll answer me. But that's something that we're not used to do in today's world. We, we have so many urgent things coming our way that we feel we have to answer. But guess what? As you grow, as you as God brings you to expansion and uh, bigger and bigger platforms and bigger, uh, higher levels, you'll have to manage things differently. And it comes between uh, managing between the really urgent, the fake urgent, or the or not, not so urgent, and the important. And it's the important. It's by doing the important, the long game, that you will achieve success in life, in ministry, in business. It's by focusing on what's important. Okay, number 10. Number 10, the final test that you have to pass when you're in ministry, the test of succession. The test of succession. As leaders, we're surely we're called to lead people. But the most important thing you have to do on the earth, especially as disciples of Christ, is reproduction. See, God is not into, um, he doesn't want us to, uh, oh, I had written this in my new book. It was so well said. See, again, same problem. I'm good at writing. All right at teaching because <laughs> I forget stuff. But, uh, oh, boy, how did I put it down? It was about, uh, oh, anyway, I forget. I'm sorry, guys. So the test of succession. So you're in, if you're in ministry, you're into reproduction. Jesus called us to make disciples of all nations. And you make disciples through reproduction. You don't make disciples through um, conversions. See, a lot of people... Uh, don't see the value in discipleship, but they see value in conversion because, oh, I brought someone to the Lord. Yes, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, we want to do that. We want to bring people to the Lord. But too often we're we're busy bringing people to the Lord, but we're not busy enough discipling. We're not busy enough uh, reproducing ourselves as leaders, mentoring people. Uh, and you know what? In your ministry or in your work and in your assignment that God has for you, no one is indispensable. We can all be replaced. Someone can do what I'm doing right now. God, God can do that. I mean, I remember the, the saying of John the Baptist when the Pharisees came, came up to him and he said, uh, don't come here and tell me that you're sons of Abraham and that makes you special because God can raise any one of those stones into a son of Abraham. In other words, he was telling them, he, God can, can doesn't really need your self-importance. 
what he, what he needs is your your submission, your obedience, your humility, your service. But he doesn't need your self-importance. So don't think you're someone when you're not, like the Apostle Paul uh, said. So, you know, no one is indispensable. And you will be called to other things and other seasons. I mean, the ministry you're doing now, you might not be doing in five years. God might call you to another station, another um, occupation or, or way to do things. Uh, maybe even the business. Like right now, I'm I'm, I'm obeying the Lord by um, by uh, being a, a teacher and, and writer and author for ThrivingOnPurpose.com. But I don't know if that's what he has for me long term. I don't know if in 10 years it's going to still be named Thriving on Purpose. Uh, maybe it's going to be something else. Maybe I'm going to be doing something very different. I mean, I have uh, visions and, and stuff that God has given me that that uh, I'm not going to share with you tonight. But uh, that I know if if I embrace that, I'm going to be doing things in a whole different way. It's going to be it's, it's going to be very different than from what I'm doing right now. So you will be called to do other things and. Uh, to other seasons as well. So you need to find who you can pass the baton to. So you need to find who you can reproduce yourself into. Hopefully, uh, the people who are listening to me regularly are getting value out of my teachings. And hopefully that I, I'm building into them. I'm building up their, uh, I'm uh, being used by God to build up their spirit man and giving them a, a stronger foundation. And I'm hoping I'm serving for that purpose. And I'm hoping I'm, I'm serving as sort of a, uh, a mentor and, and discipling other people. Uh, so reprodu reproducing ourselves as leaders is so important. And so we need to think of succession. It needs to be on your mind. You need to think of uh, leaving a legacy. See, all advanced leaders, all those who are advanced in years know this very well that it's one of the most important things in, in a disciple of Christ's life is to leave a lasting legacy. And the only way you can leave a lasting legacy is through people, by building up people, by investing time, money, energy in people. If you build up people, you will inevitably leave a legacy. But if you're busy building an empire or just a ministry or the name of a ministry or a website or a church, a building uh, that, that, that you're missing out, it's about people. Jesus made that very clear that it was about people and he was the best at what he does at discipling. That's why they were called disciples. <laughs> but he was the best at doing what he did and his disciple in, in one generation, changed the whole world. That's how good he was. Jesus had disciples. Paul had Timothy and Titus and others. Who do you have? Who are you investing into? I know I have my children. I mean, my, my first, my, the most important disciples uh, or the mentor, the, as a mentor or mentees, the, the most important people I'm mentoring teaching, discipling are my children. That that has no price. That That's the one priority. And uh, <laughs> I, I make sure I teach them adequately. And, and often, I use often use uh, teachable moments when we watch a movie or when we're outside and we notice stuff, right? We're always seeing stuff. 
And there's so many teachable moments that God brings our way. And uh, I'm thankful that he, he does enable me to transfer these as teachable moments. I, I'm hoping that someday uh, they're going to tell me, hey, dad, you know, uh, you really poured into us. You really used as many teachable moments as you could. And and I, I remember this when I was eight. I remember this when I was 10. I remember this when I was 12, what you told me. Uh, I hope to hear this someday. I hope that it's sticking. So obviously, if you have children, those are your, your first and foremost that you're ministering to, that you're building into. But everybody needs uh, to leave a legacy in the hearts and minds of people. So I hope that this teaching has blessed you. If it has, make sure you share it with other people. And I just want to uh, reiterate that this teaching is not my own. I added verses. I added anecdotes. I added my own uh, spin to it. But I got it from Brian Simmons, who is the author of The Passion Translation. I got it on uh, off social media where he shared in a post the 10 uh, ministry tests that you must pass. And I thought it was gold. And I was happy to share it with you tonight. Uh, so like I said, if it has blessed you, make sure you share it with other people who will be blessed uh, in return, uh, will be blessed by this teaching. If you haven't already, we know with all the censoring on social media and all that, we know there's huge censoring going on. Make sure you go to thrivingonpurpose.com and that you, uh, you subscribe to our newsletter. That way we can uh, let you know what we're doing, what we're up to share with you uh, the new broadcasts and podcasts and resources that we uh, get available as we get them out. Uh, and we're uncensored there. So you can get the uncensored version of Thriving on Purpose in our newsletter, um, if ever that needs to be done, because I, I pretty much share my heart on social media. I'm holding back some, some things, but uh, not that many. And, and uh, I'm getting tired sometimes of uh, holding back some things. There's, there's stuff I want to talk about, but uh, we'll see how, how the Lord leads in, in the future about certain matters. Obviously, not everything uh, that I do uh, is, um, how can I put this? Uh, I'm teaching in a certain lane, but there's stuff that's going on out there in the world that we need to be uh, informed as believers as to what exactly is going on. We want to know what God's doing on the one hand. That's the prophetic, and it, and it comes through, and it's important to be plugged into that and the word of God and get the, get the logos going and the rima going for you in your life. But it's also good to know what the enemy is doing. It's not encouraging, but it's important so that we know how to fight back uh, in prayer and in intercession and uh, spiritual warfare and all these things. It's important to be well informed. So sometimes we do episodes that have to do more with that. Anyway, uh, if you're new to the broadcast, we welcome you and we hope that this has blessed you. And we hope you'll uh, you'll be uh, following us uh, on uh, on YouTube, on Facebook. Uh, make sure you subscribe also if you're on YouTube listening to us. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and put a like on our video and uh, maybe even share it. So I hope this blessed you. God bless you. Be blessed and thrive on. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Thriving on Purpose broadcast.